All right, guys, so what is, of course, what we need to know before we go. And uh, if you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, we just had a season of prayer. So we're also remembering Bobby Blaine. Remember to keep her in prayer with her. Her knees are still hurting and giving her a fit. And uh, and if you're online, all the re- all the uh, sermon notes and, and the PowerPoint should be up there already. So uh, thanks to Brianna Blower. She got that ready for me today, so we're in good shape. All right, so our purpose for this study of uh, Revelation uh, is to consider some of these things that we need to know before we go and to understand the revelation of Jesus Christ so we can prepare ourselves to partake in its fulfillment as part of the bride of Christ and increase our understanding of who God is and intensify our urgency in ministering the gospel in these last days. That's a mouthful right there. So uh, we're trying to get a lot done with this study. And I hope that it falls out to the furtherance of the gospel and moves us. And uh, where we've already been is we've seen the history, uh, the vision of Jesus Christ in chapter 1 given to John as he was transported to the future. It was written um, from, uh, not written from Ephesus. Uh, uh, It was written sometime after his release from the Isle of Patmos. It could have been written from Ephesus. I'm not 100% sure on that. But the the pattern of the sevens is laid out. Uh, It's written to seven churches of Asia Minor. There's blessings to those who read here and keep it, as we just prayed in, in Revelation chapter uh, 1 and verse 4. It tells us that there is a blessing. I believe it's Revelation 1, 4. Revelation 1. I'm turn there. 1, 3. 1, 3. Thank you. Yeah, 1, 3. All right, so uh, it's easy to understand. It's just hard to believe. That's the thing about Revelation is... It's easy to understand. It's just hard to believe some of the things that are in there. Uh, Jesus reveals himself to his church in this epistle. And uh, chapter 2 opens with the church at Ephesus. The name Ephesus means fully purposed. This church had good works. They started with good foundation. Nevertheless, there was somewhat against them because they left their first love. And if you were here last week, we talked about that. We don't want to be that church. Although we sound a lot like the church at Ephesus, if you remember. Uh, and so... Um, God provides consequences if they don't repent, and he will remove their candlestick, uh, which we know is angelic representation for their church. We spent some time talking about that last week as well. God is pleased because they try to they try apostles that, and, uh, that are not and find them liars. God was happy with that. And they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And so he was happy with that as well. Individuals who overcome in this age are given access to uh, the tree of life, according to Revelation chapter 2. Um, and so we talked about all of that last week. So by way of uh, review, um, oh, I just covered all this. You guys don't need to see all that. All right, so uh, the first church that we see here is Ephesus, fully purposed, and it covers the, the if you're looking at it from a church history perspective, covers uh, 33 to, to 200 A.D., and we're not really ter- teaching church history, so I'm sitting here now wondering why I put that on there, but I did. Um, today we're going to be looking at Smyrna, which covers about 280 to 325 A.D. And then we'll be looking at uh, these other churches, uh, Pergamos, um, which is dealing with much marriage, Thyatira, odor of affliction. Sardis is the red ones. Uh, of course, that's in the heart of the Dark Ages uh, as they are um, dealing with uh, the, the pain of the, of the uh, wrath of Rome. And then there's Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. Uh, from 1500 to 1900, and then Laodicea, which is the church age in which we live, which is rights of the people, and that's from roughly 1900 to the the rapture, the catching away of the church. All right, so 
Uh, I'll leave that up for just a second. And uh, if you guys didn't get that, it is out up online. Is there no D2 tonight? Huh. What happened to it? Okay, I don't either. All right. I didn't know that. All right, so Matthew chapter six nineteen, the Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither, rot, neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if you have your Bibles, as we consider this, um, and these folks, uh, their treasures in heaven. Most of these folks suffered a great deal. And uh, during this time in history, uh, there's a lot going on historically. But this church historically in Smyrna um, was going through some things. And let's just pick it up in the text. He says here in verse uh, 8, he says, Under the angel of the church in Smyrna, write these things, save the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Obviously, that's the Lord Jesus. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Uh, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall, be, uh, shall not be hurt in the second death. All right, so verses 8 through 11 comprise the second church uh, of the seven churches. And historically, they were obviously under a lot of persecution. They were obviously in poverty. But God says they're rich, right? And that's why I have Matthew 6, 19 on the board. They were laying up treasures in heaven uh, because it was really hard on earth. All right, so let's just go back to verse 8 and look at God's salutation here in verse 8. He says, and, and unto the angel of the church of Smyrna, right. <clears throat> and so... Uh, these are the things that he was told to write. And uh, remember the address, he, this, the address uh, is to the angel of the church of Smyrna. So the name means bitterness and death. And this definition is easy to see from the composition of the word Smyrna. The root word is myrrh, right? When you look at the word, let me go back to that slide, uh, the M-Y-R-N-A. So um, it comes from the, the uh, root word of myrrh in the Greek. So that has to do with um, um, the uh, the bitterness and death, which is one of the the uh, things that, that are associated with death in the Bible. Myrrh and aloes and what have you as they prepare a body for death. So Smyrna um, uh, has some, you can tell even in the name of it, that they were a church that suffered. And the, in Mark fifteen twenty three, the Bible says, And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And that was to help him with his pain as he as he died. This is when Jesus was on the cross. John chapter 19 and verse 39. By the way, I added the, the verses on the screen this week so we could go a little faster. But it says, uh, and, and there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes upon a hundred-pound weight. So, of course, they were preparing his body with myrrh and uh, and aloes, as I mentioned a moment ago. So... Uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18 is a reminder of the reality of who is revealed in Revelation as well. Um, the power of the gospel is important when we face persecution and death. And so he says there, you know, uh, these things say at the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. So that's got to be encouraging to hear when you're suffering. Like, you know, God, the God of all power is 
is uh, is communicating with you. And he says in verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. Um, and so this is who is addressing him, is Jesus. Jesus is alive, and uh, he's encouraging them uh, through this difficulty. And so um, before we take another step, Susan, can you hit the lights and make them 100%? We're on a third right now. You hit the 70 button or switch. Ah, isn't that like water on your eyes? It's like, yes. Oh, all right. So I feel better. All right. So now are we complaining about it being too bright? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. (laughs) All right. So reality check. Um, so how far are we willing to go to identify with Christ, right? Um, where are we at tonight, practically speaking? You think about these that suffered, and um, you know, and Jesus is coming to them, and he's concerned about them, right? He's not leaving them or forsaking them, and he sends them a, a, a written message. He says, write this down uh, and, and tell them that I'm, con- I, I'm sending the message, the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. So our hope isn't in the temporal, and these, these, these poor folks in Smyrna didn't have anything to live for. Um, can you can you imagine that? I know some people can. I just uh, was dealing with a suicide just last week, uh, and uh, not personally, but I just I was talking to someone who was in, in, embroiled in that, and so, someone had just taken their life, and it's very discouraging. You know, people don't feel like there's anything to live for, and I don't know how people without Christ function. Uh, for us, it's eternal. I mean, you really can't take our life. You can take our physical life, but like we're like Freddy Krueger. We just come back. You know, I mean, there's this eternity begins the day you get saved. And so Jesus is really reminding him of that. Hey, I'm the first and the last, but I'm also the one that was dead. Now I'm alive. So, hey, just, you know, perk up. I know it's going to be hard, endure, endure hardness, but eventually you're going to you're going to pop up just like me. So be encouraged. In the Lord, so that's that's pretty stiff stuff that we're dealing with in Smyrna. But can you imagine uh, today? What are we willing to do to identify with Christ? You know, that's what baptism is all about, isn't it? It's it's uh, you know, in our culture, we don't take a lot of heat for believers' baptism. But like in some places with missionaries who I won't mention right now, when they baptize, right, they got to like do it kind of clandestine. They got to they get the believers around, but they make sure they're not doing it in public view of the radical Hindus, or in some places it would be Muslims. Uh, there's a friend of ours, I again won't mention his name online, but there's a friend of ours that was ministering in the Middle East, and, and he was sharing with me uh, when his he gave the gospel out in this Muslim country, how these guys, you know, as part of their preparation for baptism, were preparing to die. Like they were talking to their, their they were getting their affairs in order because they knew as soon as they got baptized, the chances are that they're going to be killed. And so, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, that's a reality check. And all we got to do is get up and get wet and get out and say, hey, everybody, I know Jesus, <laughs> you know, and which is fine. Hallelujah. We should rejoice in that liberty that we have. Um, but, uh, you know, why wouldn't we do that? I mean, really? Is, uh, baptism is not a thing, really, especially in our context. So uh, dying daily to self, that's a little harder. It's a little easier to get baptized and get wet. It may be a little harder to be a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And uh, I'd submit to you too, when things get tough, it could be a little even hard. It could be even harder to be a living sacrifice, right? And uh, and and so dying daily to self, 
um, physically, spiritually, uh, so we can have spiritual eternal life, right, and be focused on those riches. So just some things to, to meditate on there. Um, this is what Paul said about that. Practically speaking, he says, I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. Like like Paul had a death wish anyway. I mean, the guy would just like do stuff and put it, he was in peril in the sea, peril here, peril there, you know. And was a, he was a guy that was, he was like full throttle. Like I'm on a, I'm on a mission you know, uh, you can't kill me unless God lets it happen. So I'm, here I am, you know, and he just rolled. And and, uh, and so he comes to the Corinthians. And, of course, if you look at this, that verse, what's chapter 15, you Bible students? What is that? In uh, what's that context in Revela- in first Corinthians 15? No, that's 13. That's good. That's a good guess. resurrection. Yeah. He starts off in the first uh, four chapters defining the most simple definition of the gospel then he he rolls up into the the full account of the resurrection putting in the catching the the our change at the rapture and all of that it's all in there and so it's a great chapter on the resurrection and so um but he says you know what i protest by your rejoicing which i have in christ jesus our lord i die daily he's like he's saying you know what you guys live pretty high on the hog here but uh this is how i roll i have to die daily i'm not as good as you and he says that kind of throughout most of the book of of corinthians he's like well guys i'm not as smart as you i'm not as wise as you i'm not as this as you and that because they thought of themselves pretty high paul says well you know what i do i die daily i mean i just i don't know what to tell y'all but i'm living romans 12 i I don't have anything else for you and so uh being dead to self so that's where it's at smyrna they really didn't have a lot of choice they didn't have any choice but to submit right unto death so it's tough tough sledding um, and of course, that's the verse there, Romans chapter 12, I've been quoting. It's reasonable, isn't it? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So this is really good for us to think about. You know, 20 years ago when I went through this, uh, things have changed in our, our society. And if you look down the road, if the Lord doesn't come back quick, it's going to change even more with AI and things like that. So the chances are, you know, the serf-peasant relationship that our ancestors used to have, you know, three, four hundred years ago, we could all be kind of in a new, in a new way. We're kind of, we could all be like that again, you know. So it's important to kind of meditate on these things, and uh, and think and get ourselves ready mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And of course, getting saved is where you start, but also to just die daily and live in that role, so that um, when you can't control anything else, even your life. You know what? You you can know that you're in God's will, God's hand, and you're doing what you're supposed to do. And there are some things you don't have to compromise. Isn't that cool? So you don't have to compromise integrity. You don't have to compromise faith in Christ, no matter what. Even if Nero's in your grill, you know, and telling you, "Look, I'm I'm the I'm the king, not Jesus." You can say, "Well, I respectfully disagree with that." <laughs> so you can do that all the way to heaven. You know, what a glorious way to go home. Wouldn't that be cool? And so, so that's kind of where Smyrna's at. That, they don't have a lot of options. Uh, and it gets worse, as, by the way, I tell you this, but all the churches in the first century were under a lot of, they were under a lot of persecution. Um, and so, so thank God for the liberty that we do have. And, uh, I'm so thankful for it. All right. So you've heard the story of, um, the band of men who break into the church and they have the machine guns. You know, you've probably heard that before. It was, it was make his, makes its way through a sermon every so often. 
and they line everybody up against the wall and they threaten uh, uh, to gun them down if they if they profess Christ as uh, Savior. And of course, those who reject Him are able to leave. And um, and so <laughs> I would not recommend that. You know, we're not going to play that game here. Somebody come in and. Uh, and then after everybody leaves or they flee, then the, the pastor pulls off his mask and lays his gun down and says, okay, now we can have worship. So I don't know if you've ever heard that. I've seen that circulate on the Internet actually too. Um, and so, um, I, you know, the whole idea there is if you're not willing to die, then you're not really ready for worship and so on and so forth. First of all, you know, if God calls you to it, he'll get you through it. But at the end of the day... Um, the reality of the resurrection, you know, you go back and look at like, you can look at all of these things that have happened in our culture in the last 40 years, Columbine, and there's actually people in our culture that have had to deal with that, not some other foreign country, where like, if you believe in Christ, you're dead. And they say, well, as for me, I'm going to heaven, you know, and these are kids that have made these decisions. And so it's pretty sobering to think about that. That's some, that's people who are really they're worshiping Jesus and they have assurance of salvation. That's why we hold fast to the faithful word because our our assurance comes not from how we feel about our salvation but how what the Bible says about it. And that's why right off the bat in our discipleship, right, we start with salvation, eternal life, because man, that's what gets you through the that's what gets you through is really having that assurance of eternal life. And so the these these folks in Smyrna, the resurrection was real in their life. And so daily there are Christians facing bitterness and death, right? That's the, that's the name of that church, bitterness and death. So if I called upon, if called upon, we must be filled with the Spirit so we can receive the grace to help in time of need. And by the way, I, I would tell you this too. Don't feel guilty about being blessed and don't feel guilty about not having to be in that situation. So it's a, it's a, sometimes, God will give you the grace to deal with whatever you face, you know, so it's not like, um, you know, there's a there's a good missions movie out by the Southern Baptists, and I don't I don't have the name of it off the top of my head. And they go around the world and they interview a lot of persecuted Christians. And uh, the cool thing is, they end up in a jail in in Siberia or something, uh, interviewing these these Christians that have been in prison. And the Christians in uh, in Siberia in this jail are like, Hey, listen, we just want you guys in the West to know we live through your freedom. Like we are rooting for you. We we are, we rejoice in the freedom. Don't feel guilty about our persecution. We're so thankful that God has you there, and we feel free because you're free. And so that's why we should remember those behind prison bars. Because uh, like when Martin and Gracia Burnham were being drugged through the jungles of of uh, you know Southeast Asia, um, you know we're all praying for him. It was like on the front of our mind. This is you know twenty three four years ago. And we're just praying for them, praying for them. You know, they felt those prayers. I mean, they, you know, we're connected like that. And so, and so I just don't want to put a guilt trip on people if you're not facing bitterness and death. That doesn't make you a lesser Christian. But what that does mean is we need to leverage our liberty and our freedom and, uh, for the gospel's sake, you know, because uh, there's folks counting on our liberty. Okay, so a preacher once said, it's often more difficult to live for God than to die for him. And I do think there could be some truth in that. So we, we know this, to live as Christ and to die as gain. So if we really believe the gospel, death will be appealing during a time of persecution and bitterness because we know the Lord rewards those who diligently seek him, which is our last verse there. So but without faith, it's impossible to please him. 
For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so um, just some things to think about when you think about bitterness and death. I could go on and on, actually. I, got a, I, can't, I, got a, I just got an email last week from a brother who's uh, a church that people, I was actually scheduled to be in uh, when COVID hit. And I was going to this, lo, well, not this location because it was already getting too intense. But the brothers that are at this certain location, we're gonna, we were going to meet with them and do some Bible teaching. And um, I just got an email last week. Their whole church got burnt down to the ground. And so, yeah, it's sad. And uh, and that church had been there, I think, for five or six years or something like that. It had been there a good while. It was nice. Actually, it was a nice big church um, in that community uh, for the standards of where they are. So, bummer, you know. So they're suffering there. And in that area, they've also had they have faced death. You know, and it's it's hard. You look at those widows that are standing there with their kids or whatever, and they don't really they don't have a backup system like we have here, and they're just out. You know, they're just out. It's just tough. But God's good. All right. I don't want to make you guys feel guilty. That's not my point. But these guys are, I think you get the point, bitterness and death. But So God gives them a, condom, a commendation, not condemnation, a commendation, right? Because they're like good soldiers in verse 10. For, for none of these things, um, uh, which thou shalt, uh, for fear none of these things, which thou shalt suffer. So that's a command, really. He's saying, don't, don't do that. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so this church, you know, this is a rich church. Uh, the church is rich. And the reason why is because they deal with, they've been chosen to suffer. In First Peter 1, 6, the Bible says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith... Uh, being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory and appearing of Jesus Christ, at the appearing of, of Jesus Christ. So Peter's saying, you know, and of course Peter we know is because it's already been, Jesus told, just like Jesus is telling Smyrna what's going to happen to many of them, he told Peter what was going to happen to him when he got old too. So they knew what was coming. And um, and Peter's writing this letter and saying, hey, you know what? The trying of our faith, uh, the trial of your faith is more precious than gold that perisheth. Right? So, you know what? You're, you're, you're going to go on trial for 10 days. And um, don't fear. Because uh, just die and then you'll be in heaven. How's that sound? Well, in our flesh, that sounds pretty scary, obviously. Uh, but, but he's saying, hey, don't fear. Enjoy it. Enjoy the journey. Get through it. And there's a reward on the other side. Now, God forbid any of us would be put in that situation. Um, but, and if you were, you know, uh, it's, it's good to know where you're going. And it's nice to have that assurance. And so, uh, the 10 days here, um, I don't have a historical record. Uh, maybe, Tom, have you studied that out and found a historical record? I don't have one either. I've looked for it. Um, I think this is what I let me give you what I think. So I know some things, and then I think some things. So let me tell you what I think. I think this is accurate, and there was actually ten days, and then they died, just like it says in history. But I can't uncover the actual documents where this is recorded. Uh, so I just take the Bible as it is in truth, the very words of God, and and understand that historically that's what they were facing. God gave them a letter, and that's what they were, uh, and that's what they faced. And so the record is what we have in our Bible. Jesus himself says, right, 
<laughs> so, and his spirit's the spirit of prophecy. And so, uh, if he says it, that's what happened, right? So, I have no questions about that happening historically. Um, and so, it is important. And, and, and by the way, before I jump off into what I'm going to say, I'm going to talk about the ten Roman persecutions here in just a moment. Um, but, but the the uh, I thought I was. It's not in my notes. Where did it go? Okay. Well, well, I'll get to that somewhere. Uh, we need to make sure that we understand that that uh, you know when you contrast Revelation chapter two in, ten, in verse ten, well, ten and eleven here, with Revelation chapter three. You know, in the church age we live in, thou sayest thou art rich, increase with goods, and have need of nothing, right? Uh, man, what a good church to study, right? Because it's the antithesis of what the, the, the Laodiceans are dealing with. They're doing, dealing with affluence that's causing them to go blind. These people are dealing with poverty and death, bitterness and death, that's causing them to, to inherit eternal life and true riches. So they're getting true riches. So when we get to heaven and you and you unwrap everything, it's going to look a lot different. You know, uh, there's a lot of us that live in developed places that have been living uh, sumptuously every day. Uh, we're going to get the judgment seat of Christ and go, man, I wish I could have suffered like some of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so because uh, some of us can be pretty poor. And so one of the reasons we need to travel, one of the reasons we need to take missions trips and, and, uh, and get out of our comfort zone is just so we can actually see see the world uh and get it yeah you just came back from was it honduras yeah so i've been that's my first mission trip i was in tegucigalpa where where were you at i'm sorry to put you on the spot there did you land in tegucigalpa no okay so you probably landed in san pedro sula yes yeah yeah that's a nice place that's the coast and uh now you went away from it yeah, that's where they all vacation. And then, yeah, then you go up into the mountains. So, yeah, but you got to see the other side of, of it's tough. Is that your first time out of the country? It's hard to process, isn't it? And, and uh, first missions trip, yeah. Yeah. And it's the nice thing about doing what we do as missionaries, uh, as, as just church folks, is like we're embedded. Like, so we're not just like, you know, Going to the tourist zones, like you're going, you're getting involved with where people live, which is also sometimes safer um, nowadays. And so and so, you know, it's just a, it's really good because it helps you really see how the in my first trip to Honduras, I was like, wow, there, there's poverty. Then I, I think I went to Romania and I'm like, wow, there's poverty. <laughs> and then I go to India and I'm like, well, there's poverty. Guess what I found out? There's poverty everywhere. And don't get me wrong, there's poverty here too. More and more, but but not like that. You know, we really have been blessed, and as far as those things are concerned, uh, in our country. But uh, uh, you know, I got a picture. Uh, I want to show you this. It's further down the line. Somehow I got it out of out of whack. Let me get this. This guy. This guy. He's he's literally like. He's standing on his feet. He's a little dude. And uh, there's nothing more rich than an elderly pastor who has suffered persecution to share the riches of Christ and and leaves over 60 church plants. Unbelievable. Uh, and this guy here will die. And uh, he's still alive, I think, Pradeep told me. Uh, but he he uh, is amazing. Doesn't know all the Bible like we know. Doesn't have all the doctrine down. 
but is a faithful preacher of the gospel and has suffered greatly. Um, you know, it's just a pre- pleasure to get to know those guys. And so just, just those are real people we get to meet along the way. It's pretty awesome. So um, let me back up. Sorry, I got ahead of myself there. All right, so oh, wait, 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 where am I at? Okay, here we go. All right, so the true riches, the riches, the the, the true riches come at Christ's expense. Obviously, Romans five, which is on the screen, says, "For when you were without, yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us." Uh, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from from wrath through him. For if we, uh, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. This is pretty rich, actually. Paul's dealing with a lot of doctrine here from the atonement to uh, our reconciliation. There's a lot. There's a lot here. But just to keep it simple, I just highlight that word commendeth, right? Because we're talking about the condemnation or the commendation, not the condemnation, commendation of Christ. And the reason these folks are rich is because it's been paid for at Jesus' expense, right? That's what, you know, grace is, God's riches at Christ's expense. And, uh, and so uh, just as it's by grace that we're saved through faith, it's also the grace of God that provides strength to endure trouble, bitterness, and even death, you know. And so um, we're praying for Richard Strader, right? And, uh, you know, he's, he may be having to face the death of his son. We don't know. That's only, only Christ can get you through those things. And those are heavy things. Second Corinthians 1, 4, who comforteth, and he, who comforteth, uh, comforteth a little, 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 speaking in tongues up here, uh, who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may also be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. I can remember, this verse is rich, right? So what, what Paul's saying here is that, you know, God gives us comfort. Why? In all of our troubles, why does he give us comfort? Let's just read it and think about it. I'm going to be quiet and let you guys process this. Yeah. So the question is, you know, Jesus comforts us in all our tribulation. Right. So have you ever suffered and gone, why am I going through this? You don't have to do that if you're a Christian. That's why. He gives us, in all our tribute, he gives us grace so that we can comfort others that are in a similar situation. And so, Hallelujah. So you're going through difficult, deep waters? Well, why? So you can get through them and teach others how to get through it and how God came through for you. That's why. Um, that's what it says. I didn't make that up. That's what it says. He comfort, It's who there is Jesus. Comforted us in all our tri- tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. And so whatever you don't have to be exactly, you know, match for match. Just any trouble. It's the fact that you've endured difficulty. So I was. This is a real story. I, <clears throat> I was uh, when we were a baby church. Someone came forward at the altar, and it was a lady. And I didn't. I, I was so I got a lady. And uh, they were dealing with the death of a child. Now that's trouble. You know why a child? 
you know, how come God took a child? And how come? And it was really hard. Um, and man, so much wisdom. And it was Tammy Hatman. So much wisdom. She, Tammy tells the lady, she says, hey, uh, and this was going on in earshot of me. Uh, and I took him back to a private room. And, uh, and Tammy says, you know, I can't tell you why this child died, but I can tell you that God knows what it's like to lose a son. And I was like, that's gold. That is gold. You know, God the Father knows what it's like to lose a child. For real. And, uh, and, and I can't think of anything more traumatic than losing your child. I mean, that's terrible. And, uh, and who knows about it? God does. He can bring comfort. And just as his, uh, you know, Toby Mack, his son died of a, a, a presume, presumably, I think it was fentanyl or something. And um, tragic, you know, but he gives that testimony that because because God because Jesus Christ rose, we'll get to see our son again, you know. And without Christ, there would be no comfort. It would be horrible. But because of Christ, man, he overcomes everything and any trouble. It's amazing. It's amazing grace. I tell you, it's awesome, isn't it? So, <clears throat> so God's keeping the books. That's the next point. God's keeping the books, and uh, he's keeping record. Notice how God directs his attention to the synagogue and not the church here. Um, he says, uh, I, I skipped over. I went to 10 now and back into 9. He says, I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, uh, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are, the Jew, are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. All right. So. Uh, this is interesting. So you have the deeds of Nicolaitans in, in verse 6. Now you have a synagogue of Satan. So Satan has a church. But notice it doesn't say church. It says a synagogue. And that's, in, that's instructional. Uh, I'm going to get off my notes for just a moment and tell you why that is. Because replacement theology is what turns the devil on. And so he needs people to think they're Jews and are not and take the, try to take the promises of Israel because he's going to ride that on into power here in the coming tribulation. But uh, but back to keeping the books. So notice how God directs his attention here to this synagogue and not to the church. He's writing to the churches, but he's, he's naming a synagogue. And the difference, obviously, is the Hebrew emphasis. So there, there were certainly those associated with Judaism that were using the synagogue as a base of operation to persecute the church, right? That's what Paul did. You know, Paul was, he was, a, he was a Jew, and he was, he was using Judaism to persecute the church. And so Satan was using, in the first century, he was using, I mean, there's, it was the book of Galatians all about, is, hey, Judaizers are, are causing you guys problems, right? So, um, so Judaizers were tough. Judaizers meaning people who believe you need to keep the law to have righteousness with God. So that could be Jews or they could be professing Christians that were Jewish even, that Satan was using to persecute the church as God was kind of unrolling and unwrapping the mystery of the church in that first century, there's a lot of room for the devil to work, for sure. And so um, the word church means ecclesia, uh, ecclesia or called out assembly. Uh, neither Jew nor Greek, but a new creature is what we, what we are. We're new creatures in Christ. We're not Jews or Gentiles. But what a tremendous prophetic picture we have as well of the alliance between Israel and the coming Antichrist. So this is also obviously, and we'll get into that later, but it's no accident that he has the, de- the, the, the deeds and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which is a priest system that comes out of Babylon. And then he also has a synagogue. 
Because ultimately, the abomination of desolation is done where? In a temple, in Jerusalem, right? So we understand uh, that the Antichrist has desires, and his, his desires are on Israel to be their false messiah. So uh, note that the 144,000 Jews, which we'll get to, um, uh, it's not the 144,000, but the, the Jews are beguiled by the Antichrist to aid Rome in her persecution of those who will be evangelized by the 144,000. So prophetically, too, if you just kind of fast forward the tape, take the church out of here as they're running through this in the tribulation, you will see then, of course, there will also be these 144,000 uh, Jewish male uh, preachers of the gospel, and there will be people uh, being persecuted once again by Judaizers. And so um, and so that will be an interesting scenario as well. But that's kind of getting into some prophetic type of things that we'll get into a little more later. All right, so Matthew 24, 24 says this, uh, For there, there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. That's, that's why you've got to be careful, by the way, with signs and wonders today, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Context, context, context. Matthew 24 is dealing directly with the beginning of sorrows, and then after the abomination of desolations, the great tribulation. That's why when we go through Revelation, you see all kinds of signs and lying wonders allowed by God because he's, he's allowing the world and, and, and the Jews that don't receive the, the gospel of the kingdom uh, the, the ability to follow those lies because they have their hearts hardened. All right, so again, these things will come to pass um, after the catching away of the church. Really, really good things to consider when you look at these churches um, both historically, but also prophetically, as we look forward to of what's going to be happening in, after the the, uh, the tribulations underway. All right, so the seeds of heresy that are ready to blossom in these last days. So uh, you're not going to have a note here for a few minutes. Uh, let me read a little bit to you. The, the seeds of heresy that are ready to blossom in these last days of the age of grace are being sown. Think about this: between 200 and 325 A.D., the doctrine of the Nicolaitans found in the Church Age. Of Ephesus, and this will be familiar to you, HBI students, uh, now gives way to the concept that the promise given to Israel, or the promises given to Israel, are null and void in Christ, and that God has no purpose for the Jews because Christians are now spiritual Jews. The proof text for this heresy uh, is Romans 2:28 through 29, which does indeed deal with the need to be circumcised in heart and be found in Christ to be saved. However, the heresy blooming in Smyrna is the roots of all millennialism and postmillennialism. So these teach that God is done with the Jew forever and the Christian has replaced the Jew forever. And as the Sadducees before them during the time of Christ, they draw no distinction between the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom, and the inheritance of the born-again saints, and the kingdom of, <clears throat> of, of heaven, which is a physical kingdom, uh, with promises that God uh, has given to the nation of Israel. Sorry, I had a typo here. Um, <clears throat> so to hold the, to this heresy, they ignore the clear revelation of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and trample over Romans 9 through 11. Uh, this perversion is what sets up the Roman Catholic Church in the next church age with the theology that Jews are no longer God's people and can slaughter them and take their property uh, even in Jerusalem. And this will, will bring the marriage between the Antichrist and Mystery of Babylon religion as well. And they will broker peace with Israel, uh, but will not intend for one moment to actually honor Israel as God's chosen people. 
And so I just said a lot there. I don't know if you can, if you're picking up all that stuff in history, but what I'm what I'm saying here is that there, the, the seeds for replacement theology are being planted uh, during this time historically, and uh, it culminates in um, in in a, a difficult time. Now we know in 70 A.D. Uh, Titus rolls in, General Titus comes in and destroys Jerusalem, flattens it, and uh, and puts Israel on hold until uh, 1948. Um, but uh, but at the, at the same time, there's the theological gears moving um, and geopolitical things moving in Gentile and Jewish nations to fulfill the prophecies. They're going all the way back to Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, and Daniel chapter 10. Well, all of Daniel, really, but uh, but those prophecies that came forth in Daniel. All right, so, so men that taught this heresy, which I'm just going to summarize as replacement theology, uh, would be Origen uh, in A.D. 182, Clement in A.D. 200. Uh, they had a school called the School of Alexandria. Uh, Cyprian in A.D. 200, uh, Athanasius in A.D. 297, Didymus in A.D. Uh, 313, not to be confused with uh, Didymus in uh, the Bible. Jerome in A.D. 345, some of you have heard of Jerome. There's another Jerome in 380. Uh, today you can uh, tune in to... to Hank Hanegraaff and um, uh, who's that guy? Francis Chan. Francis Chan will tell you. Yes, sir. So I heard a thing. Uh, I didn't know I was doing my best Francis Chan impersonation. Go ahead. <laughs> Hank Hanegraaff, and they played a clip of him the other night. It was Sunday night on uh, Understanding the Times. And he actually kind of flips the script and does a very dangerous thing, accusing us of actually being anti-Semitic because we believe that two-thirds of the Jews are going to perish, which is actually what the Bible says in Zechariah. Anyway, it's kind of a weird deal, but, um, you know, he he asserts that he he doesn't want the Jews to die, but he still says the church replaces Israel. But right. uh, he he accuses us of, you know, you know. Of course, he doesn't believe in a rapture, and no, he, he makes fun of us for believing it. But but uh, it, it's I Not can't. Argue. I don't think. I don't even think he believes in the physical second coming of Christ. Well, and I don't know about that. But He's an but he, he accuses us of uh, being uh, of being Holocausters because uh, because somehow we will be able to or somehow. Our belief actually uh, brings on the the Daniel 70th week and all of the bloodshed that goes along uh, yeah. with the mark of the beast and all of that. Yes, thank you for bringing that up. We'd be called Zionists, and Zion, just like the Jew, Jewish Zionists, are invoking and provoking. And so we are so we have so much I, we have so much power that we are moving the nations and uh, organizing everything for the. You know, to make sure that revelation is fulfilled literally is, in essence, what Hank would be saying, which is the kind of the thing right now. And along with every church age, another knock on dispensationalism, every church age ends at failure. So, therefore, you guys are a bunch of fatalists as far as your spiritual condition. Uh, along, there's all along, there's a list of things that that Hank would come up with probably. But uh, that's yeah, I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard him. I have heard that, but I haven't heard it from Hank Hanegraaff. Um, so anything, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Ron, anything else? 
Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So Hank. Well, just I don't know. A couple of years ago, Hank and 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 Francis Chan and uh, KFU Johanan, right? So you've got uh, you got cool preacher. You got you know old Bible teacher guy who's actually Greek Orthodox, and then you've got um, so you got a Southern Baptist, you got a Greek Orthodox, and then you got uh, uh, KFU Johanan. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with him, he wrote a book about 20 years ago. Um, about world missions and how we need to support indigenous um, believers, which we should. Actually, the premise behind the book is great. Actually, I, I agree with that in, in precept uh, and how, how much more effective uh, uh, he had a ministry called Gospel for Asia, how much more effective it is to give your $100 to a, uh, an Asian versus sending your $1,000 to an American. You know, why would you do it? So it's very pragmatic. And, you know, why would you send an American when you could send an Asian? He already knows the culture and so on and so forth. And actually, that's true to some degree. That's the God, that's the job of a good missionary, by the way, is, you know, is to Jetson trained up Burmese. So uh, that's the idea. Kerry trained up Asians. Right. So it's not that it's, it's not that uh, you have to, you know, continuously support Americans everywhere. But there's also a unique advantage, by the way, to send in. The commission is to go, period. So Asians should be sending missionaries to America. Americans should be sending missionaries to Asia and go across the culture to get there. But the point uh, of this is that this um, these uh, KP Ohanan is now, uh, and I, I was actually ter- I was actually turned on to this by a, uh, by a pastor from India who came through here many years ago before I knew this about KP. He told me he's, he says uh, he's Roman Catholic. I was like, no way. He's an evangelical charismatic. That's, I mean, that's what I knew he was that. And so I'm like, well, this guy, whatever. He's just a jealous Indian pastor, you know. So I thought he was kind of slandering the guy a little bit more than I didn't think he was being actually accurate. Well, sure enough, I think he was actually telling me the truth. And so my surprise, another decade rolls by. Next thing you know, he's sitting there taking the Eucharist and, and promoting the Eucharist. And so was, so was Francis Chan and so was... Uh, so is Hanegraaff, and so meaning Eucharist. I'm talking that there's value in the Eucharist being the body of Christ, literally transubstantiation. And uh, it's a very I've sent that clip out before, so you don't if you don't believe me, just look it up. Go to YouTube and look it up. There's, they're all sitting around powwowing about the Eucharist. Um, so you can't get any more Catholic than that. And so and uh, and so I just I just. I just just saying, guys, this replacement theology business is bad news. And he, and, and Ron is right. Right now, uh, they would consider uh, many people that have a dispen. That's why they're attacking dispensational teaching as uh, ludicrous. Everybody says, "Oh, it comes from uh, Darby." Thank you, Darby, or Miller, whatever, and uh, not Steve, another Miller. <laughs> so. Or his band, but uh, anyway. So, uh, but uh, no. I mean, if you if you understand, uh, you know, the dispensations is how the word. First of all, it's in the Bible, but also you, you just it just is the only way to reconcile the Bible. It's really just rightly dividing the Word of God. So, and Canongraf rejects that, and he has to reject that to to take the position that he has. Um, and that gets back to my point here about the seeds of heresy and, and God's keeping record of all this stuff um, because Hank Hanegraaff and, and the heresy he's espousing today 
about he always appeals if you listen back in the day when he was on the radio all the time he always appealed to historic christian orthodoxy and 20 30 years ago i didn't understand what that meant he just sounded really smart on the radio but uh about 20 years ago my flag started waving i'm like well, why don't we just appeal to the bible why do we always appeal to historical christian orthodoxy which really what he meant was we're appealing to quote the church fathers like origin and some of these guys I just read off, Clement, Cyprian, Jerome, uh, most of these guys weren't even born again. Uh, there are a lot of more pagans with Christian on top of it. And so, so yeah, so that's where, and, and then, you know, Philo, who also comes out of Alexandria, you guys have heard of philosophy. Philo comes from Alexandria, uh, Egypt. He, you know, philosophy comes from there. Um, so Augustine ends up being the the brain trust for guys like Cain Canagraph uh, and his writings, uh, City of God and things like that, which if you're an HBI, you're learning about all that, uh, become, you know, they become doctrine. And even though they're just ripping off Philo, who's ripping off Socrates, and they're dealing with Zeus, they're not dealing with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, uh, so all of those things find their way, ultimately, and they really mix well with the Babylonian religion, find their way into the coming tribulation. And so in the first, second, third century, um, which now we're out of the first century, but in these, in the first century historically, um, you know, there, these heresies were already underway. But even in Jesus' ministry, I mean, they didn't have a literal view. The Sadducees did not take a literal view of the Bible, and you see that because they couldn't believe in a literal resurrection. Yet they were asking questions about resurrection, giving us a good picture of what people who are allegorical do. They'll ask you questions as though they believe it's true, even though they don't even believe it's true. And it's recorded in the Gospels. Right? So they don't believe in the resurrection, but they're going to talk to you as though they do. You know, And Jesus says, you do greatly err not knowing the Scripture, nor the power of God. And they are not given in marriage. But anyway, so by the time you get to 345 A.D., Augustine, who I was just mentioning, the Roman Catholic bishop of North Africa, writes the city of God and asserts that Rome has replaced Jerusalem altogether. So that happens in 345 A.D. So uh, notice the strong language in verse 9. He says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, uh, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not. There's a reason God put that in there. I know the blasphemy. He doesn't say, you know, the false doctrine. He says the blasphemy, blasphemous, that say they are Jews and are not Right, so we think about it historically in the context of Judaizers, right? People, and that's an accurate way of looking at it. But when you look at it also throughout history, uh, you have people replacing Israel from really the first century till today. And, and so, so just uh, be wise on that stuff because it makes a big difference. So that's strong language Jesus is using. Don't get mad at me; he's the one who's saying it. He is not at all pleased with the synagogue of Satan or anyone who would undermine the purposes of the of his kingdom. So this is uh, at the core of why Jesus returns in military victory in Revelation chapter 19. So if you were not physical, if if uh, it were not for the physical rescuing of his people, Satan would all but destroy the nation of Israel along with humanity altogether. He would just wreck everything: the planet, the Jews, everything. And so uh, March 8th is our marriage retreat coming up. And so we're, we are uh, challenged by the example of Jesus to die for our bride. Satan will destroy his uh, church, but Jesus will die for his church. And so any gain uh, 
uh, a church, a nation, or a person thinks he's getting by robbing Israel of their place in the kingdom of heaven is a short-term illusion and a long-term loss for the, uh, of the greatest magnitude. And that's why we have to pray for kings and all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. So pray God doesn't use your tax money to undermine the purposes of God uh, for his uh, kingdom, both spiritual and physical. And so that's one place where biblical New Testament theology does kind of merge onto the pathway. You guys know I'm very careful about keeping our garments clean with politics, right? I don't want anything to do with uh, right or left getting in our church as far as politicians, you know, during the... They don't do it anymore, but the Republicans used to invite you off and wine and dine you to try to get the conservative vote. I guess we're not in long, no longer important because that's a, it's all it's all changed this these last few cycles. But they used to send me letters and say, "Come to this hotel," and and they'll say on you know whatever the candidate's going to be, and you get Amy, me and my Amy would get a dinner and a hotel stay, and of course the, the what's the exchange there? I'm supposed to come back to Heartland and tell everybody to vote Republican. That makes me sick. I'm like, no way. I ain't doing that. We're not for sale. If you want to come to Heartland and bow down here and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now we're talking. But I'm not doing that. And I don't have any problems, by the way, with voting. You vote however God leads you to vote. I'm not even talking about the merits of, of candidates. That has nothing to do with it. The point is the church is way, way above all that. We're not going to get down in the middle of that muck. Because, you know, if anyone, I'm young enough or old enough, I should say. I'm old enough to watch. I watched the moral majority. I watched I watched what happened to poor old, uh, who was that fella? Friends with Wendell Zimmerman? Liberty. Or not, tr- yes, Truman Dollar. Um, Falwell, right. I watched Falwell. He did all that a long time ago, 70s and 80s, right? And boy, that didn't work very well for him either. <laughs> so uh, he got, his, his name got run, run through the muck because he, he was doing all of that. It would have been better off just to say, I'm going to stick with Jesus, you know. But it all I say all that to say this. Why do I say all that to say this? Because when I, there's one subject that when it comes right down to it is more biblical than anything, and that is Israel. So what you see going on with the Gaza Strip, what you see going on with Israel as a nation, which when you see Persia, which is Iran, uh, with Hamas and, and um, Hezbollah circling up around Israel. Like, okay, now we, I can say something. And it's, I always say, this isn't political because it's not, it's biblical. Now, and that doesn't mean the Jews are saved because they're not. If I go preach, they were just trying to do an anti-conversion law uh, just like in the last 12 months. I mean, so they finally, they didn't do it because there's so much pressure from America. But, I mean, the Jews, I mean, to this day, they hate Christians for the most part. So it's not about that. I'm just saying, biblically speaking, uh, God has a plan for Israel. And as a Gentile nation, which America is a Gentile nation, you're stupid and foolish to get, to side up against Israel, which is exactly what's happening in our nation. So that is sounds political, but it is about, about the most stupidest thing you could do to go out and start protesting for the poor Gazans, which, by the way, I'm all about getting humanitarian aid to Gazans. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with any of my Christian brothers working with the Palestinians. I have I, I got good Palestinian friends that have gotten born again and are reaching the world for the gospel. I mean, Palestinians are people too. They need Jesus. I mean, just like everybody. So obviously we are we don't have any stake in all of that. But when it comes to geopolitical matters, are you kidding me? Uh, you do not side up against Israel. Uh, you take a beating before you do that. Now, if I was the president, I will tell you this. I'd have my hand on my wallet too. So I'm not saying you just open up the coffers and do whatever they tell you. 
Because you're still in charge of your nation. So America first, right? If I was the president of the United States, America first. Uh, but I would definitely have a, a, a place for Israel, right? And because I know God blesses those that bless them. But I'd be telling Ned and I, I'd be like, stay out of her pocket, stay out of her pocket. So <laughs> you can only get so many billions for your nukes. All right, that's enough nukes for now. Ben, Benny, you're fine. We'll take we'll the, 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 the Navy, the Marines will be there. We'll help you. <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, so, so, you know, you're still the president of your Gentile nation or you're the king or whatever. Uh, but at the end of the day, you really don't want to turn on Israel. Uh, so any, if there happens to be any principalities or powers listening to me, which I know they're not, uh, that's just a little advice from the preacher in Harrisonville, Missouri. So it did work, though, from the guy from Independence. I mean, God blessed him. If you know what I'm talking about, Harry Truman. He had it right. And uh, he was not well respected, by the way. They thought he was just a goober. Uh, Stalin, all those guys. And he was way over his pay grade. Some of those dudes he was tangling with were pretty darn pretty pretty in, intense and uh, but god took care of him because he understood god's principles and by the way he was consulting with the bible believers on what should we do with israel so just for what it's worth all right so uh, in haley's bible commentary <clears throat> um smyrna is in the is uh the account of smyrna in the time of john's writing the city had worshipped rome as a spiritual power since 195 bc Hence, Smyrna's historical pride in her Caesar cult. Uh, Smyrna was famous for science, medicine, and, and uh, the majesty of its buildings. Uh, Apollonius of, the, of Tyna refers to her, her crown of porticos, a circle of beautiful public buildings that ring the summit of Mount Pagos like a diadem. Hence, John's reference in, in uh, John 2.10, the rejection of the pagan crown for the eternal crown of Christ. Polycarp, uh, Smyrna's uh, uh, martyred bishop in AD 155, had been a disciple of John. So John discipled Polycarp, and Polycarp was from Smyrna. So he per, he perhaps was part of this 10-day situation before he went to heaven. I don't know, but it's recorded that Polycarp, when they threatened his life, he was like 80, I don't remember, maybe my HBI class remembers his, his age. I think we said 86 or something like that. I just covered this about three or four weeks ago. Um, but they came to Polycarp, and he's like, yeah, I mean, if you want to kill me, kill me. <laughs> so let's go. You know, I'm ready to go home. He was old. He didn't matter to him, so he died. But I don't know if he had to wait 10 days or not. Um, so uh, if in the martyrdom of Polycarp, oh, here it is in my notes. If I just kept reading, I'd have looked a lot smarter. Uh, so he's. Uh, it's recorded that he was 86 years old, uh, and he died in 186 A.D., uh, and the, and the Jews joined in the clamoring for him to be cast to the lions. So when the decision was made that he would indeed be burned at the stake, the Jews gladly carried the wood as a service. No doubt in tribulation uh, as today, those who choose Christ as the Apostle Paul will lose their life at the hands of those who Jesus also died. It is because of this that we endure suffering, understanding that if it were not for the grace of God, we too would be participating in the very destruction of the work of God. It's also the fact that uh, that which causes us to labor unto death because in our flesh we are the chief of sinners, right? So before we get too high and mighty about how bad everybody else is, you've got to remember if it wasn't for Jesus, you'd be right there with him. Crucify him. You know, I was just sharing, uh, I think down at the parade, we handed out those John and Romans, and 
Uh, I was standing there with Luke talking after we got rid of them all, which, by the way, that went really smooth, as I mentioned last week. Uh, and um, I just remembered, like, how it felt when I was lost. I just ever have those flashbacks. It's like I never did any hallucinogens, but I had a flashback. <laughs> and uh, it was like, it was like I remember not just what happened. I remember how I felt when I got a Van Halen track, you know, and how, uh, like, hateful I was in my heart when I realized it wasn't like a cool Van Halen. Because, you know, back in the in the 80s, you know, you didn't have as much, you know, it was, you know, you didn't have as much cool Van Halen merchandise, you know, without buying it, you know, because we just didn't print things all over the place. So a nice glossy Van Halen thing was like, hey, I could put that in my room or whatever, you know. I was, like, excited about it. And then I opened it up, and then I'm angry. I'm hateful. And I just was thinking about that. I was like, man, I was on the other side of this thing. Not too many years ago, you know, and uh, and so if it wasn't for God's grace, you know, we could be the persecute whores, and so you got to have a little bit of grace for those that are are persecuting. Remember that. Look how quick it flipped on the on the Philippian jailer. You know, he put him hard, fast into the stocks. I mean, he he clamped him down hard, and then boom, an earthquake later, a few minutes later, after a few song services, that dude he's he's ready to kill himself, and in the in the you know. Paul and Silas could have just said, serves you right. <laughs> you know, jerk. <laughs> you jerk. That's what you got. We're God's people. Don't mess with us. See what happened? But that's not how it rolled, right? They were like, no, no, don't. Don't harm yourself. Don't do that. They didn't bring up anything about how they'd been harmed. He didn't have to. They knew that because as soon as he repented, he took them and washed their stripes, right? And so, so we got to have that kind of mindset. And we got to love those that hate us, right? Jesus loved us when we hated him. So so it's good stuff to think about. God uh, lets the suffering church know that he's able and aware. He's able uh, that he lets them know um, that he's also aware of those who are worshiping over at the synagogue of Satan. So that's kind of good, too. He's encouraging them. Um, so think about Romans twelve nineteen, which I got on the screen here. Dearly beloved, you don't have to avenge yourself. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath. Oh, that's so hard for American Christians to do. It drives me crazy. Like I'll go, some of my brothers in other countries, I watch them lay down like lambs. And, and God just convicts me. He says, Brian, you do not understand this stuff. you got to learn. This is, how, this is how to roll because these people are putting the judgment on my, in my court. I'm the one that's just, I'm the one that will judge. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I need to hear that. I got, I've got i shared this story so many times, but I was traumatized one time. It was on, on a Saturday night. I was prepping for a message, and I uh, I've, I got on this thing called Live Leak, which I don't even know what it is, but I was looking for videos or something for my for my message. I was doing something with Mechie's prep, and I was obviously looking for martyrdom, and so I come across this video. Well, I guess this Live Leak thing is like, this is like the dark web or something. I don't know. So I end up watching a martyr, some some guy in Tunisia or somewhere in North Africa. And he's in his little jumpsuit, you know, just looking smart as can be, uh, meaning he looks sharp. And a uh, young guy, probably, in, I'm guessing, 18 to 21. And he's surrounded by all of his buddies. And uh, they're not kicking him in anything. They're just they're running around, Allah, Allah, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, you know, doing their thing and and they're taking him, and they got a dug grave, and 
they lay him down. And, and when I say traumatized, I'm really, I'm not kidding you. I'll never get this image out of my head because I'm like, what's going on here? And then he gets on his knees and they slice his neck and he bleeds out like a, like a heifer, uh, and, uh, or like a, you know, an ox led to the slaughter for real and no resistance. And as I'm watching this, you know, it just like freaks me out. And all of my American movies, you know, I'm ready for kung fu fighting or something. You know, you, know, you got to do something. Get your knife out. You know, do something. And this guy, you know, it's obvious. Like, he knew this was coming. And he was taking it like a man. And he was going to go home to see Jesus. I mean, it was all settled. Unbelievable. I mean, I just was like, it, it just freaked me out. And I've never forgotten that. And I, I don't know. I mean, I, and I also, I was like, I cannot believe I just saw this on the Internet. But anyway... Um, and so it was like faces of death or something. It's horrible. So, um, so anyway, so I, so I remembered that and I, and it really helped me though, because, um, I see my friends in India sometimes getting beat with canes and I watch them get beat and the American in you just is like, you know, that much doesn't lie within me. <laughs> so, you know, you're ready to pick up and we're just a different kind of people. You know, we're like, Hey, uh, I don't have that much patience. But why is it? Because they don't have any other options. They don't have any other options. They don't have... Amy and I were just talking about that the other day. Uh, oh, it was that, that account. I was I was showing her the pictures of the burnt church and all that. And she has the same response that I have in my heart oftentimes, which is, man, I, you know, <laughs> we need to do business, you know. That is not the Christian way, though. In those situations, you can't do that. You're such a minority, what are you going to do? Take on the whole country? You're not going to win. You just got to take what you just got to give it to Jesus. You got to go Romans twelve nine. So Jesus says, "Hey, listen. I know those folks at the synagogue of Satan over there, and I'm taking. I got. I'm taking. I got the books. I'm keeping track of this stuff. You know. And I would lay odds that that guy who laid his life down. Um, I bet he was praying for every one of his friends to get saved. And I would not be surprised if a good portion of them didn't get saved." Uh, and so, and so, you just got to look at it through God's lens. You know, if you're called to it, He'll get you through it. But you got to, you got to love your enemy, right? And I know that He laid His life down and like that because what did He want His friends to see? That it's no big deal for me. I'm going to heaven. You're not going to see me freaking out because I'm going to, I'm going to be with Jesus. You know, and He's trusting that the Spirit of God will convict them, which I'm sure it did. I mean, can you imagine how you would feel? Killing your, and this wasn't his enemies. Clearly not his enemies. These were his friends. And so, uh, and they thought they were doing God's service. Right? Uh, and so, I'm just saying, some things to think about. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So in the coming tribulation period, there's going to be a lot of unjust looking things going on. But you know what? There's a reason Jesus comes back. And squashes people like grapes till the, the blood's running bridal deep through the valley of Armageddon. Because he will get the vengeance. I had a, I'll end on this, I'm over time. So, uh, I, I had a, we were discipling many years ago. I'm not going to say who because you might know him, but they were, this is practical and I'll close. And uh, this, this uh, young lady was just, just kind of stressing over her. Some things her mom I was doing and what have you. And uh, 
we'll pick this up next week and finish. Then we'll jump also next week. We'll jump into the third, the third church of uh, Pergamos. But she's like, man, and she's just complaining and going on. And I said, hey, is your mom saved? No. I said, well, you know what? Then you're set. You can just like not do anything, and you can just let your mom. And I took her to Romans 12. I said, look, you know what the Bible says? You can just do nothing, and, and God will judge your mom. How do you feel about that? You want you want your mom to be uh, judged? You want God to have vengeance on your mom? And of course, she's like, no. I said, oh, okay then. I said, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe you should just love your mom. Maybe you should pray for your mom. Because if if you just kept, keep this up, she's not going to know that you're a Christian. And eventually, she's going to find out what's coming. You know what? The true story, that lady got saved. And she died, too, not too many years ago, and she's in heaven. So uh, I forgot about that. I mean, I, for, I forgot that she, I forgot about all that until just now, but that's cool. So, um, so, you know, when you really think about God's just wrath and you think about what's coming and what we deserve without Jesus, it's a lot easier to deal with, to remember. It helps us remember. You know what? Vengeance is the Lord's. You know what? Have grace with others because God's given you grace. Now, obviously, there's parameters, there's boundaries. I'm not saying be stupid. But I am saying we have a capacity to forgive others because we've been forgiven. And we should do that. Especially if we don't want them to face the wrath to come. And I could tell more stories like that, but I won't. I will tell you this. God is good, and he takes care of his kids. And so if you just if you ride with Jesus and you love God and you love people, keep the great commandment, he'll take care of everything else. If not now, in due time. And you just got to rest in his character. All right, let's pray. And uh, I got a little off track there, but we'll finish it all up and bring it back in next week. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for bringing us together tonight. Thank you for the great day we had. What a beautiful day, beautiful weather we had. And as we think about this church in Smyrna, bitterness and death and the the bitterness and death that is faced, uh, you know, often today in our world, uh, so many don't have Christ. They're facing bitterness and death because sin. Uh, sin is just rampant. Lord, uh, I don't know that lady that was down at the Union Station last week, on this day last week. Uh, Lord, I don't know where she's spending eternity. And I pray, God, that, uh, Lord, I pray the people that shot her go, get saved too. Because, Lord, I'd hate for anyone to spend eternity separated from you. Lord, thank you for overcoming sin and death. And help us be examples of the believers in word and deed. And help us to take these lessons, Lord. The Bible tells us it's a blessing to read, to hear, and do the things that are written in this book. And so help us to learn the lessons from these churches and and remember, Lord, that uh, you have saved us. And when we do suffer, it's for a good reason so that we can help those in any trouble. And so, Father, we thank you for giving us grace. And we thank you for this time. We pray a blessing on the reading and hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Don't uh, forget to, to pray for Richard Strader as uh, he will be making big decisions tomorrow.
Redeemed. 